Welcome to TechTO Quick Takes. We are broadcasting this week's episode live on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. As always, send us your feedback wherever you're watching or listening and let us know your takes. You can also listen later on the TechTO Quick Takes podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Thursday, April 1st, 2021, and today we'll be talking about Clutch fills up the tank with $60 million, the Ontario Securities Commission cracks down on crypto, Dapper Labs runs it back with $305 million, and Getty Images takes another dip into Canada with Unsplash. Let's get started. First up, Clutch fills up the tank with $60 million. Alex, tell me about Clutch. Well, Clutch is a Canada-based uh, online used car dealer, the art dealership, sorry. Um, and it's a mar it's a marketplace. It operates in Halifax and Toronto, and I think it just opened up Vancouver. But instead of me giving you a weak description of it, why don't we get Dan, the CEO of Clutch, up on stage? I love that idea. Welcome, Dan, to TechTO Quick Takes. Now, longtime TechTO community members will remember Clutch's CEO, Dan Park, from his VC days when he used to hang out at disreputable events like ours, looking for the next big thing. And a lot of people dispute this. So I had to go through the archives to find some proof. And I just want to show you, look what I found here. Oh, no. Oh, look at that. Wow. <laughs> now, if you are uh, listening later on the podcast, we'll try to include this photo of a young <laughs> Alex and Dan drinking a beer at TechTO in the show notes, or head over to our YouTube to see it in HD. All right, over well, to you, Alex and Dan. Well, uh, after you know, that tattoo, that TechTO logo icon type tattoo is real, if anyone wondered. Um, <laughs> Dan, so why don't you tell us about Clutch? Give us your description because, you know, I think people here use car dealership to hear online. They're not, they don't know what that means. So what, what does Clutch actually do? Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, we actually don't even use the word dealership. We find that taboo in our organization. We call ourselves a vertically integrated online used car retailer. Ah. Um, so what we do is we provide a better, cheaper, faster, more transparent way to buy a car um, entirely online. So instead of spending four hours in a dealership or meeting some stranger in a Tim Hortons parking lot, you go to our website, you pick the car you want, you go through our process, and we deliver it right to your door. And these are all used cars, right? All used cars. We take every single one into inventory. We inspect each one. We certify them. We provide every car with a 10-day money-back guarantee, um, and again, through a very online, seamless process, kind of in a world where you order food with a click of a button or you stream video to your TV or to your home directly, we're offering a, a, an easy way to buy a car, um, something that doesn't really exist in Canada at this point. And Clutch is right now in Halifax, Toronto, and Vancouver, is that correct? You got it. Yep, that's right. Yeah, and... You know, usually when we get you know CEOs on our podcast to talk about a raise, they're a founder. In this case, you're not a founder. You were at Uber Eats and got recruited. So tell us a bit about who's behind Clutch, how it came in, into existence. Yeah, so so Clutch was started back in 2016 by my partner, Stephen Seibel. Um, he um, was living in the U.S. at the time, had this terrible experience buying a car when he was in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, started looking around the market. Back then, there was a few kind of earlier stage um, businesses in the U.S. selling cars online. Um, he's Canadian. I'm also Canadian. Um, we looked at the opportunity here in Canada and thought to ourselves, look, like this, this, this is something Canadians desperately need. Um, you know, we're kind of still stuck back in the frankly eighties and nineties when it comes to car buying. And we're trying to take that, uh, and really modernize that experience for the consumer. And, and basically they recruited you from Uber Eats and you've been there for about a year and a half. 
You got it. Yeah. And and unsurprisingly, surprisingly, um, you know, delivering there's a lot of parallels to delivering food and delivering a car. Okay, I wouldn't go on. <laughs> I want to know more now. Yeah, I mean, look, like we're we're expanding across the country. We're trying to create a national brand. Um, you know, the team. You know, a lot of you know earlier stage tech entrepreneurs that want to you know make build something meaningful in Canada. Um, so the talent recruiting is is very similar. The organization, you know, city city GMs, very similar. And so there's there's certainly a model that that we can replicate when it comes to at least people structure. Um, and then from a from a consumer experience and consumer brand perspective, there's also something we can do there that are, that's very similar. So that that's pretty interesting. And I think there's a couple other similarities I'd like to get to. I'd like to hear about the race, but before that, like how's the last year and a half been? I, I feel like it's been a roller coaster ride, which you probably experienced yeah. at Uber as well at one point. Yeah, I think well I think it's been more of a roller certainly more of a roller coaster ride here. I think, you know, we we didn't have the unfortunate uh um experience with the pandemic in, in when I was at Uber. Um and so for me when I joined it was back in September of 2019, things were going well. Um, but we were running out of cash. I remember um, I was literally in my living room. I think I was in the fetal position telling my wife that I think this company, I don't know what's going to happen here because we were running out of cash. Um, I think you and I might have met up for beers at some point yeah. in that time. Um, and then we saw our sales evaporate, like literally April of 2020, you know, we basically went to zero. Um, and so, you know, sitting sitting there, you know, a financing potentially kind of closing in, in mid-April, um, running out of cash, like, is this company going to exist? You know, big question mark there. And then demand st started slowly coming back. You know, folks kind of started getting used to the idea of being more locked down and, and you know, the implications of the pandemic. Um, saw the need for transportation, um, public transit and ride sharing, you know, less appealing for, for obvious reasons. And so people started buying cars again. And, and for them, a lot of a lot of people look to clutch an online solution to to get a car delivered right to your door without having to go anywhere. Which I think, um, as we look kind of a year a year back now, that trend is going to continue. And we we think that um, you know, it, it, like many other e-commerce categories, where people kind of had that that initial belief that you needed to go in store to go and get that thing. Um, I think even 20 years ago, the thought of getting shoes online was insane. Yeah. Um, you know, we're seeing, we're thinking that I think, you know, car buying becomes one of those, one of those purchases that people, um, you know, certainly feel way more comfortable making online. And we're, we're proving that with, with the customers that we've already sold to. And so let, let, that gets us to the, I guess, this week's news, you raised the headline number is 60 million, but I believe it's 20 million equity and 40 million in debt. So tell us a bit about what you raised, who it's from, how, how does round came together? Yeah, so um, so it's that's right. Twenty million of equity, forty of debt. The forty of debt um, is from a fund um, called Upper Ninety. Upper Ninety um, provides financing to ClearBank. They are the primary source of our 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 what we call floor plan financing, which is effectively to buy inventory, and so that allows us to buy cars. And again, we buy every single car and we take those into inventory, and that requires capital, um, but also it also ensures that the customer is getting a really great experience and a really high quality vehicle and is the reason why we can then back that car with a 10 day money back guarantee. Mm -hmm. um, and then the equity, you know, is, is more traditional growth capital to continue to scale operations, hire people um, and, and conduct marketing. So I have to ask you one question about this round. I think in the Globe Mail article that came out when you announced the round, you said you raised twice what you thought you could raise. So what does that mean? It was a valuation or there was more money out there than you thought? What, what surprised you about this round? Yeah, a combination of both. I think the pandemic, um, 
you know, I think, you know, being, having been, been in VC, rounds used to take a long time to come together. Um, you know, you'd have to fly to San Francisco, you'd have to fly to New York. Um, you know, typically the partner meetings were happening on a Monday. Um, and so you could maybe get one, maybe two every Monday. And so it would take six to eight weeks to even make those rounds, get the feedback, go back and forth in diligence. Kind of in the in a remote world where you're now, um, you know, doing deals on Zoom, you can schedule three, four, five, six partner meetings on a given day. Um, and so, you know, while we weren't necessarily looking for capital at the time, I think a lot of folks looked to Clutch um, as a potential uh, investment that they could be making. Um, and so while we weren't looking for capital, we did get a lot of interest last fall. And so we decided to kind of pursue a, a Series A much, much earlier than we'd anticipated, particularly given we'd raised our seed round in April. Cool. And, and then... When we do these these shows, we like to say, "What's the takeaway for entrepreneurs or people in the ecosystem?" So I usually give a couple. I love to think, put your put yourself in a founders or someone in the ecosystem. What? Why is this an interesting news? Uh, other than you know, Dan, everyone loves Dan, um, and and we hope to see another big, huge Canadian company. But what's interesting news and takeaways for people in the ecosystem about this round? Um, I think there's a few. I think the one thing, and and I'm I'm certainly guilty of this. Back when I was in VC, I used to be. I used to just kind of categorically reject Canadian-only companies. Um, and I've heard you talk about this before. I think I listened to uh, the the edition from a couple of weeks ago on once Well Simple. I think there's a few categories where, where Canadian-only companies are not becoming um, um, much more attractive. Um, and I think big ones like food, um, fintech, um, transportation, healthcare are certainly those categories. Um, and so you know, having spent time kind of doing the rounds with a bunch of big VCs, not only in Canada, but but in the US, um, there's a, a, a much greater degree of appetite for Canadian only businesses around the right category. So I think, you know, for any of those founders out there that are maybe frustrated around, you know, maybe being a Canadian only play, I think the tides are turning. Um, and if you're in the right market, and that's a big if, um, you know, there's an opportunity to, to to scale something that's venture venture backed. Um, and I think the other, the last one would be just the speed at which um, deals happen right now um, is much faster than it was prior to the pandemic. Uh, and so, you know, if you're looking to go raise capital you know, having all your ducks in a row and making sure that, you know, you've got you know everything in place before you go out to market and going out to market quickly um, is, is probably the, the best thing you can do because it allows for a more robust fundraising process. Awesome. I love those takeaways. It's feel like you read my notes. Uh, <laughs> one, one question with, with uh, the Canada only plate, do you, how much do you think you were helped? Because I think by U S and European competitors uh, being publicly traded. I think it's definitely a data point that we will, we are able to point to. And, and so, you know, instead of, um, talking about the potential, we talked a little bit more about, you know, our execution strategy and how we continue to, 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 you know, use our playbook to scale a business that we think um, can be, you know, obviously venture scale. Cool. Dan, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on uh, the, the great round. And I hope to hear across all of Canada shortly. I think, because I think what I read, you're going to be at least two more cities this year. Yeah, that's the goal. And uh, excited to try to serve as many Canadians as possible. Do you, do you need to like run a survey, figure out which cities? Should we get like, you know, a social media thing going? For... We, can do, uh, we can do a, you know, you know, those campaigns where if yeah. you get enough users and you kind of launch the city. Um, yeah. <laughs> so if you, so you're going to Yukon next. Well, I mean, it's close to my home province or <laughs> territory. So I feel like at some point we need to be up there. Cool. Thank you so much, Dan. All right. Thanks guys.
All right. That was awesome. Uh, Alex, any other takeaways that you wanted to note there? I know that Dan was almost reading your notes verbatim there. Anything else you wanted to add? Well, I, I think going back to the what, I think there's a narrative violation here. Um, uh, you know, he talked about, Dan talked about how it's a candle only play and it's a, it's a big market. So that's a narrative violation. I think the other one, which the other two parts of that narrative violation, it's not a founder led company. The CEO here is someone brought in. And so that proves that there's many different ways to have a team and, you know, you can still be a founder and not be running the, you know, the CEO of the company. And I think you're going to see more of those in the next little while. And I think the other thing I'd say with narrative violation is, um, they're in two, they were basically two mature growing or established marketplaces with uh, cities for local marketplace. So they're in Toronto is growing fast and Halifax is a bit more mature, just up in Vancouver. Usually like if you talk to any of the local marketplace companies in Canada, they'll be saying, Hey, you have to go prove you can open this in Boston or Chicago or like if you look at Ritual or if you look at Jiffy, after mm -hmm. Toronto they went to the state. So I think that just further demonstrates how the narrative violation here, and and I hope hopefully it's a sign of things are changing. I love that, Alex. If you're enjoying keeping up to date on the people like Dan and the companies like Clutch that are shaping the Canadian tech ecosystem, you need to subscribe to the TechTO newsletter, don't you? You have to three times what? a week, each day different uh, subject. What was your favorite part of yesterday's issue? Well, I actually think we did something in yesterday's issue, and I don't think people realize what we did. Um, we had the company in the spotlight basically announced their, their fundraising uh, on, in, in that little write-up we have. And the company spotlight was a company called Wombo, which is like a consumer app for lip syncing. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, in the description, the interview came up that he's raised 5.5 million seed round. And the reason <laughs> I think that's not out there is I got like a couple of VCs uh, texting me early in the day going, oh, they... Wombo got a round done um, when this happened. <laughs> so, so that that was kind of exciting for me. Uh, awesome, and I think we've got um, we've got some more Wombo content coming up later outside of the quick takes format. But next up for right now, the OSC cracks down on crypto. Alex, you got to tell me about this crackdown. So, the OSC and the Canadian Securities Administration. Um, so, the OSC is Ontario Securities Commission. Both came out with a couple announcements earlier this week, Monday. So first came out the CSA saying, hey, here's a framework. If you want to be a platform allowing Canadians to trade um, crypto assets, uh, what you have to do to be legally operating this country, country. And basically, they want you to re register as an investment dealer and become a member of uh, IROC, which stands for Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. And then like I think within like minutes, they'll see follow up on that announcement which they knew was coming and said, hey, if you, if you don't basically register with us and follow these rules within three weeks, we're going to take action against you. Wow. So what does this mean for the Canadian crypto industry? You know, it's not clear, but uh, so I'll, I'll try to break it down a few ways. I think, first of all, depending on the actions that are taken, how fast OSC takes actions, it may basically block Canadians from investing in any crypto asset. Um, because as of now, uh, there's only one person that complies with this, and uh, Jason, you'll be happy to hear this is, is Well Simple Trade. Um, there's about 600 other platforms that allow you to trade uh, crypto assets in Canada, and none of them have followed these regulations except for Well Simple Trade. So, if you could assume that no one complies within three weeks and registers, it and depending on the actions OSC takes, it might be very hard to trade, it might get very expensive. You may not be able to sell your assets in some platforms. Um, look, I understand why the regulars are doing this. We've had problems with, what was it, Quadriga CX, which basically looks like a fraud that took a lot of money. CoinScore is charged with manipulating the market. So the regulars are responsible for making sure that consumers are safe and their investments are safe. 
But, and it's one thing to impact consumers. I think the other more important or longer term impact might be here is what does it mean for our crypto industry? Um, you have, like, we're going to talk about Topshot and Dapper Labs, they're crypto assets. I don't know if they're going to apply this to NFTs and they're going to apply this because, you know, you know, it could be hard. Not, you know, maybe Dapper Labs with all the money they've raised can comply and go through the go through the process. But if you're a new crypto platform, someone looking to do something innovative in the exchange of crypto assets, you may just say, "I don't want to do the Canadian market. I don't want to even operate in Canada." And it could basically put us further behind uh, the crypto startup scene. So the worry isn't as much that consumers themselves won't be able to like. I don't know, pay for a Tim Hortons coffee with Dogecoin and more about the innovation that's coming out of the ecosystem. Is this going to stop people well, from really building new applications um, uh, in the space? Yeah. So I, I do actually think I do worry about consumers because they should be able to invest in these assets. Like if you look at the SEC in the States, they do not regulate platforms such as Coinbase because they don't view digital currencies as a security. So, so as a consumer, maybe we may, if you believe that crypto is a great place to get returns, we're going to, you know, and we're banned from it. You know, the Canadians will have less returns and less wealthy, but more, yeah. But again, if you go job creation and in, in, in the mm -hmm. in economy, yeah, we, I'm worried that we're going to freeze a certain part of our startup e ecosystem. Uh, you know, on the other hand, we have uh, some amazing innovation in the space as well with the uh, purpose investments, uh, Bitcoin ETF. I think it's one of North America's uh, only, uh, first, if not only, it was um, the first exchange traded more, fund. I think there was two more right exchange right in, in the Canadian market right after. Uh, purpose but yeah it was the first and, and this these are people that are working with the regulators as well and are, are yeah. probably uh painting a path forward for all sorts of different investment vehicles in the space so um my hope is that if on one hand we take away uh some of these shady actors on one hand we've got people who are cleaning up the space and making it safe for people to participate on the other yeah look you know with my angelist hat on i've worked with the regulators they mean well and they do and and they move relatively faster than you want but it's 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 it, they're in a tight spot like their primary objective is to protect your grandmother right from getting scammed yeah, or having issue, right? Raha, but yeah i understand yeah but you know like you know so but the flip side is they have to move fast and i think something like crypto just keeps them moving so quickly i feel like we're in the second inning of regulations mm -hmm. and crypto is still moving so fast and you know angelist like in in early investing in uh, i don't know how many angels in early uh Canadians invest in private markets. Mm -hmm. But if you look, the estimates uh, I've seen for like four and a half million Canadians have owned a crypto asset at one point or another. So it, it is widespread. It's an asset people want exposure to, but the regulars have to be forced. And there's got to be, a, they have to find a way that works without impeding our, our, our ecosystem. So if you're a member of the TechTO community, uh, you know, why should this news be on your radar? Well, I imagine lots of our members invest in crypto. I imagine a lot of them work at blockchain or crypto companies that may, may be impacted by this so um you know first of all if you're trading on a foreign trading uh, platform I, I don't know what you can do but you have to be aware that they may not allow you to trade soon mm -hmm. um i think if you're looking at building a business with crypto assets trading on it so again it could be in an nft in an exchange you you might want to look into the regulation and see what the burden is and budget stuff so you can be compliant um and you know, I'm, I'm like, I. What is Ethereum like? There's a lot of people that were early in the Ethereum market, and what what do they do, and how does it impact their thinking? And do we do they all right. leave the country? I'm not sure. 
Right. Now, uh, Alex, if you want to join a community of Canadian tech founders, entrepreneurs, and investors to both discuss the implications of what this means for your crypto-related businesses, uh, but also just to be part of something bigger to help the ecosystem, you've got to check out the techto.org insider membership program. Okay, Alex and I are there every single day answering questions, discussing the news, making introductions, and helping grow the community. Alex, who have you met recently in the insider program? Uh, so this week I was talking to uh, Christy, I think it's Amen. She's in the prairies, uh, started a career in finance, then saw the light, became an entrepreneur. She's launched a company called Hyon, which is basically helping you know people that want to sell goods on marketplaces meet people that actually know how to do it. So she's creating a marketplace to enable people to sell stuff on marketplaces. I love that. Um, and uh, what are you going to sell in Hyon first, Alex? Uh, According to my wife, a bunch of old electronics. Yeah. <laughs> According to you and uh, your dad, probably you'll never part with those. All right. Next up, Dapper Labs runs it back with $305 million round. Now, last month on Quick Takes, we spoke about Vancouver's Dapper Labs, Top Shot, NFTs, and the massive round they raised then. What's happening this month? Well, I guess <laughs> they raised the $300 million more, and it seems like everyone and their mother's investing in it. Um, uh, so tell me, who's who's everyone and their mother? So uh, like Kotu led it, and Kotu actually was an early investor or a late stage investor in, in uh, Facebook and many other companies. But you've got 40 individuals from Michael Jordan and Kevin Durant to, uh, you know, I guess, uh, what was it? You know, a bunch of NBA, a bunch of NHL players, entertainers. So you have like Ashton Kircher's funds invested in it. Um, you got Sean Mendes invested in it. Uh, Will Smith through his fund, which is called Dreamers, invest in it, and then you had a bunch of you know a bunch of VCs that already uh, have exposure. Double this down. Board, so, this board meeting is going to be lit. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I guess maybe we'll be doing. Maybe we're going to see the Top Shot for concerts or something like that. Maybe we'll get like Will Smith rapping uh, uh, cards yeah, and Sean Mendes like best clips. You know. Okay, it's well, like, first, let's start with so the the thing they have in market, of course, is the top shot NFTs. Tell me a little bit about the stats. What's happening with this uh, well, MBA offering? I think last time we talked, which was a month ago, they were talking about two hundred million in transactions. They're now up to five hundred million, so that's that's two and a half times a month. And they have eight hundred thousand accounts registered in the public beta testing. So it doesn't sound like beta anymore, but that's a lot of accounts signed up for a, a crypto asset. So I think the top shot is continues to grow, continues to see interest. But I think the underlying story here, which I guess for me is more interesting, is how they're enabling what the blockchain they're using is a blockchain they built a product called Flow. Okay, that's interesting. So tell me, tell me more about Flow exactly. So I guess what Dapper Labs learned with CryptoKitties, I don't know if you remember that buzz, like they basically melted Ethereum blockchain. And so they said, we can't have, you know, we need to make a more consumer scalable um, blockchain. So they produced their own open source blockchain called Flow. Um, it's, they say it's to handle mainstream customer applications at scale. And so it's a couple, got a couple of interesting things. First of all, it takes fiat currency and credit cards. So that means it takes mm -hmm. USD, Canadian D. You don't have to go first buy, you know, Bitcoin and change Bitcoin into something else. So it takes away some of the complexity of crypto. It's scaled to ha handle extremely high transaction volume. So one of the thing with, with low fees and low environmental concerns. So one of the issues you have with either ether or you know, Ethereum or, or Bitcoin is 
number of transactions you can do per second are limited compared to something like Visa. And there's a huge transaction cost that they pay the nodes. And there's a huge environmental issue. So it flow supposedly takes care of this. Mm-hmm. And it was purposely built for NFT marketplaces. And you have um, supposedly Warner Music, Ubisoft, Warner Media, UFC, and thousands of other third-party developers already uh, and artists already building upon Flow. And so you mentioned it's open source, so uh, like anyone can build their own uh, their own marketplace on top of that. I assume so. I, again, my my view is like lots of open source projects. There's probably some stuff you can do for free, and there's some premium services that you can pay. And I'm not sure where Dapper Labs. And so is the opportunity that people are seeing with this round, is it for the commercialization of flow or is it just for them to continue to repeat the NBA, um, the NBA experiment with, with other brands? So it's definitely, I think it's depends on who you're the investor, right? I think these athletes see what's going on and, you know, they know that all the other leagues are going to do this. So you got the NFL, NBL, major league baseball, you got hockey, so they see that, and there's a bunch of li- IP licenses that Dapper has. So mm-hmm. there is a bit, hey, if, if you know, 800 million transactions every month or whatever it is, they get a cut of it. This is an interesting market. So I think there's a subset of people that say, Topshot knows how to build a cool IP. Let's If they leverage other people's IP, there'll be a huge market. And I think there's some people looking, oh, hey, this flow could also be interesting blockchain to be associated with. So not right. sure exactly what people think, but I think imagine it's a bit, a bit of both. And why is this interesting for the TechTO community? Well, this shows you what exponential growth looks like and what it does, right? Like most people don't like, I think when people have venture scale and they hear exponential, they don't, you know, they, you know, they still think linearly. And you're talking about something that's gone from 200 to 500 million transactions in a month is 800,000 registered users in, I don't know, a couple months. So just idea of scale and the, and the money that attracts. And I think this now plays into our previous topic. What happens now with the OSC regulations and how does this impact it? Right. Um, you know, because I look at now, if, if with the impact Dapper's having, and, and if we believe Flow becomes an important blockchain, what are spinoffs and implications for Vancouver? Now, again, their team's probably partially remote given the current environment, but they have a core team in Vancouver. And you know, when you see a big company succeed, like Shopify, they start spinning off employees that understand e-commerce. In this case, understand mm-hmm. NFTs, understand the Flow blockchain. What could this, you know, what could this do to, the, to juice the Vancouver ecosystem? Sure. So we've got uh, both Ethereum and Flow with some Canadian roots, which is pretty exciting. Um, Alex, we have some really exciting live streams coming up. We've got founders and funding, the untold stories behind the race, where you, Alex, you sit down with a venture-backed CEO and the VC partner that made the bet for a candid conversation of how it all happened. Who are you going to be sitting down with on Friday, April 9th? So Chris from Radiant Capital and Lloyd from Boast.ai. So Boast.ai just raised, I think it was a $100 million round. Chris, uh, Radiant Capital is somewhere between a traditional venture firm and a PE firm. So they're not looking for the 100x return, but they're looking for more, you know, quote unquote, guaranteed, you know, 10 bagger. So should be an interesting, uh, I think Boast.ai is one of those slow burns that have now gone into huge flame and it'll be interesting. And Lloyd's a very has a lot of energy. So I'm looking forward to it. You'll also be able to listen later on TechTO's Founders and Funding podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Then on April 12th, we have the next episode of TechTO Together, where we introduce the Canadian tech ecosystem to some of our favorite entrepreneurs from all around the world who are scaling incredible businesses. 
so that we can learn from them and grow together. Alex, what do we have coming up on April 12th? Well, April 12th is brought to you by the letter W because um, we have founders from Wonder School and Rapbook. Um, Wonder School is changed how daycares operate. The Chris, the founder, is based in the Valley, and they're going to be talking to us about that. And then you've got uh, Nason, who's coming on from Rapbook, and Rapbook is basically a mashup between fintech and entertainment industry, making it easier for you to run your, your basically your TV or film production. And then we have TechTO Talent, where we share the insights on building a career in tech. What's happening on April 21st? Well, apparently I'm going to get a lot smarter about tech, uh, tech recruiting and, and have a conversation with some people from Shopify and a few other uh, people busy recruiting tech talent. Fantastic. Our last take of the day Getty Images takes another dip into Canada with Unsplash. First, Getty Images takes over iStock Photo in Calgary, and now they're scooping up Unsplash in Montreal. Alex, tell us about Unsplash. I think Unsplash is everyone's favorite source for uh, non-copyright images they can use in their presentations, in their websites. So Unsplash is Montreal-based. Started off as a Tumblr blog, if you remember Tumblr. Um, like, you know, And basically, they've become the go-to source for cool photography that you can search, download, and use in, uh, in basically anywhere. Um, and it's kind of a cool model. I know that, uh, you know, I, I use Unsplash's API at my business, uh, and we don't pay anything for it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, also, I, I think their business has a few different angles. Like, I, I think what's what's most interesting to me is actually, I'm uh, not sure if they which one it is, Unsplash brands or what they call, because I never, but like, they actually pay, uh, brands pay to be f included in their search. And so so I guess the example is, let's say Tim Hortons can pay to include a bunch of uh, Tim Hortons cups. So when someone searches coffee, you see a coffee mug and Tim Hortons comes at the top. Because the idea there is, hey, you get more visibility for your brand. And it doesn't stay in one place. That person puts that in a, in a presentation. They go, you know, when you did live events in person, they go and ask in front of a thousand people and then they're talking about coffee or they bring up the slide and there's a Tim Hortons advertisement right in front of you. Mm -hmm. So it, it's interesting where they've taken um, the exact opposite. Everywhere else, you know, who you're targeting, it's a very targeted market. You know, you, you come up with your own content. They're saying, hey, people are searching to include free photography. Why don't you pay to be included there? Um, they also have a couple other products. Um, one's Unsplash Hired. Which is now to you know if you're one of the top photographers or create a creative artist, you can see their profile. And you can just literally click to hire them right there. So a bit of a person marketplace. The API, I'm not sure. Do they charge you for the API? They don't charge me. I'm pretty sure they take the information of the searches that uh, our customers do, and they use that data to talk and which which pictures people select, and use that data to. Uh, maybe understand from a whole bunch of unstructured images, which are the most popular. Yeah. So what's, what's the most popular on a venue? I don't know. Probably a nice relaxing beach somewhere. So, um, so this is, this is exciting news. Can you tell us a little bit more about this deal, Alex? Well, not much has been disclosed about the acquisition price. Um, so I, you know, what I could tell you a bit more is about what, you know, that Unsplash is going to be an independent company, you know, division separately run with Michael still in charge of it. Isn't that what um, they always say at the beginning, though, Alex? Yeah, and I, I think in this case, I have a feeling that you know they have to say independent because Getty's business model is so different that if they do merge it to and they'll just be a, imagine the KPIs and what success looks like for the two organizations are so different, right? That you know, and I, I think I could believe that Getty could boost you know, just I think the Getty 
resources and distribution can boost the ability to get Unsplash to be much bigger. So I think, at least, you know, I, I actually think there is sincere desire to do this in the near term and to see what can happen. Is this, um, is this an example of like a, a Goliath picking up a David here and, and making sure that this new model doesn't come and threaten the throne? Yeah, no, I, I think it's two very different use cases. I think, I think Getty's very smart at acquiring. It wants to own the ecosystem here of images, mm -hmm. and so any business model that exists, they want to complement, and they, and they can. There's probably some shared services they can take advantage of. They could probably cross promote. Hey, we, you know, you're a good photographer that we use in Getty, but maybe you have a bunch of images you want to, you know, get out there and get some business. I, uh, you know, I, I don't get don't have a really big insight into how Getty thinks. Mm -hmm. But again, this has not happened overnight. They met. They, you know, they first met Getty Images in 2016. So. You know, this is a five-year relationship ending up in a marriage. So tell me about the takeaways for the Tectio community. Well, going back to that, like acquisitions don't happen overnight. Um, and I think the best companies get bought, not sold. Mm. So my guess here is, you know, you, start, you meet a company, you meet a potential acquirer in 2016, eventually it becomes a must-own. Someone wants to stake their, their, their reputation within the organization. So... You know, doesn't doesn't happen that fast. Getty seems to like. We I guess I don't know if Canada's great at creating interesting new uh, businesses around photography and stock photos, or if Getty just likes shopping in Canada. So my guess is if you're going to start something around stock photography or images, get to know Getty sooner rather than later. And I think the other thing is my guess because you haven't seen the valuation number here is that the exit was good, but not like not a venture home run again, and not not everything has to be venture size. But, you know, which also because, you know, the flip side of exponential, like you're talking to another company that has incredible numbers. Like, I, I think they've got thousands of partner integrations. They've got 3 billion downloads, uh, 2 million images on Splash. And my feeling is this is, a, you know, a double or triple outcome, but not a home run. So it's really hard to build a sustainable, you know, large, impactful business, no matter what happens. Like, and it's not over till it's over. Oh, it always is. Thank you, Alex. What a week in Canadian tech. If you haven't already, I need you to like and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening, and we will see you on the inside. We're in the business of delivering impossible things. We're in the business of delivering things that nobody's ever seen before. If you build that culture, you'll come up with you know really cool and innovative stuff, and you know, literally could be in the next multi-billion dollar idea. So this conversation is largely going to be about scaling yourself and scaling your leadership team. I want to talk about one of the biggest struggles that I think a lot of startups face early on, which is building initial traction.